Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. I have an awesome guest for you this week on the podcast. My guest is Daniel Goldberg, and he's a partner at Futex. Futex is a proprietary trading firm located in the UK. Dan has been involved with financial markets since 1995, straight out of college, and got his start as a book runner on the exchange floor. He later became a pit trader and was also there for the transition to electronic markets. These days, Dan plays a major role in training new traders to the firm and continues to actively trade, predominantly focusing on two markets, bonds and euro stocks. Some of the topics we hit on during our discussion were how Dan seeks out trading opportunities and uses tools such as the price ladder and market profile and how macro events have a significant impact on his trade decisions. I also asked Dan a bunch of questions about prop trading and he has some really interesting points to share on the topic of risk. So there's plenty to learn, plenty to take in. Let's get right to it. You're listening to the Chat with Traders podcast. Please welcome my guest, from London, UK, Daniel Goldberg. Dan, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good, pleased to do this. All right. Well, thanks a million for coming on, Dan. I've really been looking forward to this, and you were, of course, highly recommended as a must interview by Tom Dante. Uh, guys listening, he was on episode 39 and uh, awesome interview, so make sure you check that out after this one, of course. So, Dan, the way I see this discussion headed, uh, we'll talk about your earlier years because you've been doing this for just over 20 years now. We'll also talk about the opportunities you seek out in your trading these days. And I have a bunch of questions I want to ask you about prop trading. So, how's that? Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. All right. So, Dan, take us back to 1995. What was your intro to trading and what was it about financial markets that appealed to you? 
Uh, I think the first thing to understand is I was I was pretty raw and pretty naive. Uh, sort of thinking back to, uh, I guess most eighteen year olds are, but but I didn't have the entry into the financial world that I guess a lot of people do now. I mean, when we interview people now, we we expect them to know what a financial future is, and honest to God, I I, I had no clue. I I guess I fell victim to. Uh, a couple of films that were out around that time. Uh, so, I mean, these are films that I ask people if they've watched nowadays and they've never heard of them. But you think back to like Trading Places or Wall Street. Uh, although they're maybe slightly different to where I ended up, that was my early influence. Um, the news media tended to still cover um, the trading floor and the pits and all the shouting and screaming and that just got my my early addiction going uh, I had I've got to be honest I had absolutely no idea what I was heading into I just remember thinking at the time that it was a pretty good idea to finish off my college uh, not worry too much about university and and head into the big wide world and just literally i sent hundreds of cvs to any address i could find we had to use post back then and um i, I just scoured the city with um with with my cv and with with letters trying to get in and it took a while. I had a few interviews that didn't pan out, but um, the one interview that I did eventually end up getting, I had actually on the life floor. And I think the moment I stepped on the life floor, I just thought, yeah, this is for me. This is this is the place I I I want to be. Uh, so that's that's really how I I sort of stumbled across it. I think really and truthfully for the first three years of my my running stroke trading career i probably didn't still know what a bund future was but but that's where i was okay sure so while you were in college you know while you had while this fascination for markets started to grow were you doing any trading just on your own at that stage no it was so different back then i mean you've got to remember half of us i know it makes me sound like such an old bastard but i didn't even have the internet back then i mean we were 18 and i I, actually i didn't even have a mobile phone um so the access to it was not the same as it is now it seems like you know you can sit on a train and whomever you're sat next to will have an ig account or some other such spread betting firms account and it wasn't like that back then you couldn't um you couldn't access it in the same way or at least i didn't know the, how to access it in the same way and i had no you know parental backing i mean i was i was living day to day i had no um financial support whatsoever so i wouldn't have even had 50 or 100 quid to shove in a spread betting account of course, yeah. No, that makes sense now that you actually mentioned it. I didn't even, didn't even put two and two together. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, I know, showing my age early in the interview. Yeah. No, 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 it's good. It's good. So how did you first get your foot in the door? Like you said, you were putting CVs out to you know, hundreds of banks and you know, trying to get interviews here, there and everywhere. How did you first get your foot in the door? Um, pure luck. I mean, it really was. I hate, unfortunately, I think what, a lot of people don't realise is is the fine lines and and the sort of the fortunate margins that that life throws at you. And 
I know that to a certain degree you do make your own luck and I was throwing myself out there and speaking to everyone but eventually it came through a family member um, it just so happened that um, some obscure relation I think it was my grandma's sister's daughter so I don't know what that makes her to me uh, happened to be a teacher and she taught um, the two gentlemen that ended up being um, traders on the life floor and I was making quite a lot of noise saying that I wanted to get into the industry and it happened to just in conversation fall down through the ranks of the family and it turned out that it ended up getting mentioned to them so they said come along and, and have a chat I don't think they even saw a CV I remember one of the brothers who I spoke to one of the, the brothers but he was busy trading and uh, the other one I ended up playing crib with and at the time I didn't know that really it was uh, kind of a test of my um, my sort of mental speed that we were playing this card game but uh, I was I was fortunate enough to know the game and actually be reasonably good at it so that that genuinely no word of a lie is how I ended up getting my first job as a runner uh, right. on the life floor. Right. Okay. So, what is the actual role and position of a of a book runner? Like, what does that entail? Well, when you think back now, you know, you click a button and your order is in there, and then it drops into your fill window, and then magically it ends up uh, on your statement the next day. But back um, when we first started, this all of these exchanges were done by hand. So the trader in the pit would be shouting and trading and you know, doing his trades with other counterparties and he would be handwriting them. He would be putting them on a piece of card and, you know, throughout the, the course of the day, he would be sort of totting up his position and, you know, most often his P&L as well. But it was my job to go and collect those cards off him, depending on who the trader was and how often they traded. You had to kind of decide and how busy the market was. You had to decide how often you wanted to uh, jump in and get the cards. But then you had to go, you know, write them in a book, make sure the trader was correct in his position and his P&L. And then you had to type them into an old, I think it was called a TRS system. And once you typed them into that system, that's when they went off to the back office and then then got manually allocated to a trader's account, you know, for the next day. So it was a fairly lengthy process, which is why it makes me laugh nowadays when traders, you know, they bitch and moan and scream and cry if their system maybe freezes for a millisecond. You know, quite frankly, back back in the um, the proper trading days, a trader wouldn't know his P&L. He might not have time to work it out. And there were a lot of times when a trader would have accidentally, you know, added up his position wrong or read a plus as a minus. I mean, I've had it where, you know, certainly one of my bigger traders, you know, he was a couple of hundred lots the complete wrong way. He thought he was long 200 and I made him short 200. And at 18, I had to have the um, the confidence and surety that I'd got it right to go and tell him that actually he's 400 lots round the wrong way. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. So you told us a little bit about how you met these two guys. Can you tell us a little bit about what 
about the background of these two guys. I know they're now your partners at Futex there, um, but what was their trading experience at this point in time? Uh, they'd done, uh, you know, a little bit more certainly than I had. Uh, one of them was working at the Bank of England and uh, sort of got introduced to what financial futures was, you know, via that uh, background. Uh, I'm not, you know, to be honest, I'm not actually too sure what his role was there. Uh, and I think he'd also been at Nat West. And I know one of the other guys was trading, I think it was Japanese warrants at the time. So they did have more of a trading background and had a little bit more of an understanding uh, sort of a, of the industry. And I think when they, they eventually went onto the life floor, they were kind of mid-20s. Um, but both of them had to give up what at that time was you know, a reasonably well-paying job and sort of take the gamble of being a a self-backed uh, local, um, you know, with no sort of impending salary. Yeah, no doubt. So, so from being a book runner, you then began actually trading on the floor. Tell us, how did this work out for you? Oh, it, it wasn't good. Uh, I mean, I... <laughs> As confident and as sure as of myself as I thought I was, I think when you get put in that environment, it really does humble you. Um, I mean, look at a stretch. I'm five foot nine, and you know I'm still leaner now. And when I was sort of eighteen, nineteen, I was uh, probably classed as skinny. Uh, and you're shoved in this pit, and you don't know what really you're doing. You're trying to decide whether the market's going up and down. No profile, no footprint, no charts, no, no, you know, indication or tricks or patterns on the ladder. You were with other human beings. Uh, and these guys were experts at what they were doing. The most of them were, you know, had 10 plus years on me. And they were all you know, to a to an individual, all very boisterous, all very aggressive. Um, I guess, you know, if people want a comparison, they're kind of your, your sort of, I don't know, highly aggressive market stall type owner. Um, so it was intimidating. It was really intimidating. And I had nothing, I, the intellect really didn't matter. And I think that, you know, these weren't by any stretch of the imagination stupid people, but it wasn't the most important thing down there. And I'd always, always throughout my whole sort of life up until then, be it through, you know, private school or college or whatever, I'd literally always relied on my intellect. And all of a sudden, I it was of very little use. And so, yeah, those early years on the life floor, I mean, I... I I was not a successful pit trader and I think had it have carried on I don't think I ever would have been a successful pit trader uh, I don't think I I don't think the way things were then if they'd have carried on they're just I was a bit too late to the party and there wasn't the same sort of time and resource to be able to learn these things um, so you know I mean kudos to anyone who did make a, a substantial living down there. I mean, that is is some talent uh, sure. to, to do that. Okay. So you said at the beginning of your answer there that, you know, you obviously had no charts, you had no indicators, uh, no market profile. What were you basing your decisions to buy and sell on? 
Oh, a gut feeling. I mean, it, honestly, it was just whether you thought it was going up or not, whether the noise was, you know, a little bit louder in one direction. I mean, it, I think back to it now, you know, I can't possibly imagine what I was making my decisions on. Um, I mean, there was, you know, there was one time I remember it quite vividly and I remember the trader that did it to me and I've met him since and he probably doesn't remember it at all, but he was broken for Merrill's at the time and I ended up being short buns uh, into an interest rate hike. Now, I didn't even know that there was like, there was an, an announcement. I mean, I didn't know what interest rates meant to financial futures. I didn't know what, what any of these figures meant to financial futures. I mean, I, that's how green I was. But by pure luck, I ended up being short into um, a rate hike. And as the market started coming off, I actually covered my position with this trader for three ticks. I mean, this was into an unexpected rate hike <laughs> where I'd managed to sort of luckily find myself short. And I hit, I don't know why I did it, but I remember I hit this trader to get out of my position and take three ticks. And as you can imagine, it, it was 50 or 60 ticks lower. And I went back to kind of check the trade with him. And he was a little bit unsure as to whether I'd done it or not. He was. You know, he, he, he knew he'd done something with someone, but until I'd gone over to check the trade with him, he wasn't sure who it was. And I'll never forget that just the utter humiliation um, that this guy subjected me to, uh, you know, in front of the whole pit um, of being the, the utter arsehole who, you know, a, didn't quite know whether he had even done the trade anyway, and B, if he had done the trade, was, you know, such an appalling trader that, you know, he'd uh, covered a rate hike for a three-tick profit. And, you know, I think when I think back to these sort of things, I think it's that sort of humiliation and that sort of character, I guess at that point it was character assassination, it's those sort of things that actually made traders what they were and actually made them what they could become. And I do think that's what we're lacking now. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The life floor would not exist because of all of the the new rules that we have and the new um, you know, health and safety rules, the new, you know, rules in terms of you know, what's acceptable, that floor just wouldn't exist. I mean, there would literally be someone getting sued every day. But unfortunately, it's made people softer. And I don't think that goes hand in hand with trading. I don't think being soft um, is, is the right thing to make a trader. And that's probably what is lacking and why people find it very hard to this day to, to come through. That sort of brutality that, that certainly I was subjected to definitely fueled fires okay okay now that's really interesting dan so let's talk about how things started to turn around for you um i think it was around 2000 with the introduction of electronic markets tell us about how that affected you well that was the, the big turning point for me uh, because all of a sudden all of a sudden i gained an edge 
because it wasn't about physicality, it wasn't about aggression, it wasn't about who you knew, it wasn't about where you stood in the pit and whose broker you had in your your pocket. All of a sudden, it put people on a, a little bit more of a level playing field and you could participate. I mean, what people don't understand is if I actually did get a trade right or was near getting a trade right and I went to trade with someone a a broker could turn around and say no they could literally turn around to you and go fuck off I don't want to trade a one lot with you because I literally can't be asked working a 99 lot as opposed to a 100 lot and they could do that and brokers very frequently did they would sit there and they would say you take the lot or you take nothing and of course I was restricted by you know, the size that I could trade. Um, But electronic trading changed that. It meant that you could actually participate and you could at least get in and you could at least get out um, where you wanted to. And it gave me the chance to be on my own, be in a room and start to understand what was happening with the market. And people spoke more. Um, and that's really where you you got the first real bit of tutoring into you know what you should be looking for and what you should be doing and how you should be approaching it and the the evolution and the move from the life floor to urex as well created a lot of opportunities and really the first opportunity for me was um i was doing i was doing okay on what they were called the old dtb screens um, they were black and white, no price ladder, no depth, just literally a bid and an offer. But I was doing okay. Um, but then the the Lifebund went completely onto what the older system, which was called APT, and that was the automated pit trading system that Life had, and it went 24 hours on the, the the life bund went 24 hours onto this but at the same time you had the german bund and they didn't always trade within a tick of each other because the 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 you know the the automated programs the algorithms hadn't quite got there yet so it literally became um a system where if you were quick enough and smart enough you could trade with your left-hand life APT buns and with your right-hand Eurex DTB buns. And, you know, they did get, very, you know, at one point, I remember they were nearly a point wide. And you could just, it was the, it was the purest arbitrage that there was at the time. And, uh, you know, in terms of free money, I think it's one of the last um, sets of free money that, the the markets have ever given out and i was i was fortunate enough that i was very quick onto the sort of electronic transformation and whereas other people were sort of still trying to get to grips with it a lot of pit traders were losing money coming out of the pits onto the electronic screens because it was so different um that was really where i took off um and then from there kind of you, you know you you could invent your own spreads. I mean, there was a time when the Bund and the BTPs moved in the same direction. Um, so that was a spread that I did and, and again, was fortunate enough to be successful in. And, you know, that lasted until 
I don't know, 2002, 2003, where you could pick off these spreads that had a natural relationship um, and that was still around. I mean, there was a, such a thing. It's sort of it's, it's the oats now, but it used to be called the Notionnel. And again, these things all moved in tandem. It wasn't like it is is now where, you know, you'll get these moves and one day the, you know, the bund will go up and the oats will go down because people are worried about contagion or worried about the difference between France's GDP to Germany. It was a much less complicated time. People just accepted that you know, the Bund would go in the same direction as the BTP or the, the Nationale. And there was a lot of money to be made to trading those spreads. And it, you know, it really gave me the chance by the time I got to 2003, 2004, it just gave me the, you know, the financial stability and chance to, to be able to trade outrights, um, you know, which is what I've carried on doing to this day. Right, right. Okay, so let's step forward to current times now. How do you trade nowadays and what opportunities are you looking for? I, I trade, I think you constantly evolve how you're trading. It's not, you've got to be aware that the market changes, you know, week by week. You know, the first two weeks of January were, were great and the second two weeks were appalling. And I think that I approach the markets looking at certain things, at certain indicators. I always work from, you know, the big picture down. I think that's something that has always stuck with me. I try not to get too bogged down in the very small intricacies that, I think a lot of traders make the mistake of getting bogged down in. So, you know, we all know that there are algorithms in there to sort of shake you out for three or four ticks. We all know they're there. So kind of stop having three or four tick stops and getting stuck in the middle. Um, but you've got to work from the big picture down always and, and get your bias right. And, you know, then you work it backwards and there's lots, you know, there's lots of techniques, but the ones that I find work for me, um, you know, are, are the real very basics that are quite easy to sort of teach anyone. So, you know, you've got to start with your support resistance and your trend lines. Um, and you've then got to work through the other things that you know, off your bar chart, you would know work such as gaps, um, head and shoulders. And then there, then you really sort of, as you sort of work down, you've got to start looking at your volume and your volume profiling. And I think that for me is one of the biggest keys and indicators as to what the market's attempting to do and where participants are actually looking to build positions and it doesn't just mean looking for high volume or low volume it means looking for you know actually what's the activity that's going through are there genuine buyers or sellers here or are we looking at an algorithm that's just purely churning 5,000 lots because it can and you know there are lots of techniques within that 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 you can use so you know within your profile you're looking at you know, things like your points of control, your volume points of control, um, you know, the volume weighted average price, your, your VWAP as it's called, gives you an incredible indication as to, you know, where other participants are um, positioned and where they're caught. Um, so you're always looking for things like that. But for me, that's that's almost as far as it goes. You know, a very 
a very cursory uh, look at perhaps what a Bollinger or a moving average would maybe doing, but that's incredibly supplementary, you know, as uh, you know, as as an additional tool, not something that I would blindly trade off. And I honestly don't subscribe to any of the uh, fancier tools or any of the you know other studies that may or may not be there i think that's enough to keep an eye on if you're trading two markets you know that's a lot to take in and one of the hardest things as a trader is to kind of not miss these things and to keep an eye on everything and that can be quite draining which is you know we'll come to it later it's one of for me one of the key advantages of trading in a prop firm is that you've got more eyes on it and you certainly will miss things yourself but there will always be someone else that will, you know, if you build a good team atmosphere, will shout it out to you and give you a, um, you know, a heads up. I mean, there was a good example. I missed a flag in the Eurostocks yesterday. Um, really quite obvious now, but I was clearly tired. I was getting a little bit obsessed with the Bund yesterday, as people might know uh, who follow me on Twitter. And I completely missed that there was this flag building in the Eurostocks and, you know, it got shouted out by one of the lads and I, I had a glance and I saw that he was right and then you make the decision to sort of trade it yourself after that. So that's really sort of how I approach things. Excellent. Yeah, I definitely do have a lot of questions around that type of thing, uh, you know, the prop trade environment. Um, I want to dig into this a little deeper. So, uh, but just before we do, just quickly, what markets are you predominantly focused on today? Uh, like, uh, you know, in current times and do you strictly trade intraday or are you sometimes carrying positions over a longer time frame um i tr at the minute buns and stocks are taking up most of my time i think you have to watch the s p and you certainly have to watch the tenure if you're trading either of those two products um yesterday yesterday it was very clear that there was something going on in the tenure and it is going to have an effect on the bun so you can't be blind to what's going on around you. Um, you know, likewise, you knew that the FTSE was getting hammered yesterday and was going to actually probably cause a drain on everything else. So you, you, you've got to be aware of all of the correlated markets that, that there are. But predominantly, uh, Bund and Eurostox is where I'm more comfortable putting my trades. Um, I think the S&P is a great market, but I do think... Um, that you need a lot of size to trade the S&P, probably size that once I would have been comfortable with, but as I get older, I think your risk um, parameters change and, and what you can lose changes. So um, I think that's a market that you do need a lot of size to trade. Um, so for me, buns and stocks is where I sit. I keep an eye on everything. I think everything is correlated. Whatever position you're putting on today, you're trading the oil. You know, let's be honest. If you're, you know, if you're buying euro stocks today, it, it's only going up if oil rallies. You know, that's how it is at the moment. Things come in fashion and out of fashion, and you've got to be very, very aware um, and fluid as to what you're looking at. So that's where I sit at the moment, buns and stocks um, primarily. Okay. So Dan, if you could speak to us about the importance of the price ladder for your trading approach um, and maybe just take it back a step. What actually is a price ladder and what type of information or insight does it provide you with? 
The price ladders, it, it, it's basically your market depth, and it's it's how the, I would say ninety five percent of the industry, you know, trades with whatever their market is, and watching your price ladder and watching your price action should and will eventually either give you the confirmation that your ideas are correct or it will give you the uh, the confirmation that you 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 should stand out of the way so you've got you know you've got your market in the middle you've got your prices down the middle of the price ladder so at the minute for example the euro stocks is trading 2930 31 and if through the middle of that price ladder you'll have prices going 20 ticks higher and 20 ticks lower that maybe you can visually see and you'll have a depth of market that uh, sits either side of that so you'll be able to see if the market's 29 bid at 30 you'll be able to see what orders are sort of running down the ladder to you know 19 and what orders are running up the ladder to about 40 and it's an amalgamation of of orders and it's constantly changing because obviously there's so many spread algorithms or just natural algorithms that that price ladder is always moving and the bids and offers are always changing but it's really the significance of what you can see going through at the price that you want to trade so you will have your predetermined plan you will for example i don't know if the euro stocks runs down to 80 today you might be thinking okay i want to buy 28 80s but as it gets there you'll start monitoring the price action you'll start monitoring what's happening are are the sellers more aggressive are the sellers in control are people pulling their bids off of the ladder because they're too nervous when it gets to your price is someone reloading the bid so for example he might start with a 200 lot and as he gets hit on 50 he might reload it and put another 50 on and another 50 and there's all these techniques and they take hours to learn and you know really and truthfully before you know, up until very recently, you could only learn these things actually on a live price ladder. Even the simulators, you can't quite see what's going on um, as well as you can on a live price environment. So it really is that last piece of the puzzle, that last sort of checklist um, that tells you whether you want to be interacting. And there's lots of tricks and there's lots of games that people play on the ladder. Um, some of them legal, some of them in a grey area, some of them not legal at all, but they do still get played. And these are all sort of short-term price increments that you can take advantage of. You know, someone might um, move the price up by four or five ticks without it trading and and you know then pull the bids thereafter and you know you can really as a day trader you can really take a lot of these smaller price increments out of the market um, as opposed to use you know as well as using that price ladder for your um, your really sort of major major confirmation bias as as you get near areas that you want to trade and we focus a lot on that you know, as as a company here, you know, all of our grads that come through, 
the importance of just watching that price ladder and understanding that price ladder you know can be the difference between someone who makes a great living as a trader and someone who doesn't quite make it as a trader um there's obviously lots of other things that go into it you know obviously there will be but you know that actually will be one of them and we focus uh, there's a lot of attention that we pay to that um and i don't want to head down the route of major sales but you know some of the things that we're inventing and creating are primarily based around the price ladder to to help people understand what they should and shouldn't be seeing and accelerate the learning because you know the learning curve for trading is is very very long and very very arduous and lots of people haven't got the finances to actually sort of stay the course and and learn how to trade so we're always looking at ways to kind of accelerate their learning um and and sort of help push them on their way to a you know a successful career yeah i mean i did notice it was very uh prominent on your site uh the price letter that is so i mean that's sort of why i wanted to ask you about it and just a quick one um just so we're clear does the price letter differ from level two in any way Oh, good question. I mean, I, I look, I'm so used to price ladders, I'd have to be shown a level two. Um, as far as I understand, level two is your market depth, um, but I'm not sure how that gets displayed on, on every other system. Um, our, our guys work off of two systems. They work off of um, TT and Neon. Um, so it would really, I guess, level two is that type of data, but I've got no idea how that would be displayed on, on various other platforms. All right. That's cool. I was just trying to avoid any of the listeners getting caught up on, um, terminology differences, but that's cool. So in addition to the price ladder, how does the market profile and footprint influence your trading ideas? Uh, market profile, it, 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 it very, very much gives, I think it gives me, you know, a major, major edge that the people need to understand that no matter what they're looking at, these markets may appear random, but they're not. And I think people really do need to understand that there will be short term price movements that, you know, might seem random, um, but they're not. And what the essence of a market is that it's just trying to find value that's all it's doing and the key difference with these markets is is the level of uncertainty so if you think of a short-term interest rate we pretty much know what value is you know we can base that on the fact that something is really unlikely to happen in the next two months and interest rates are such that that is value. And if you think in terms of whenever you go to a shop, we all kind of know what perceived value is. You know, a Mars bar used to be 30 pence, but now perceived value is um, 70 pence. And all markets are trying to do is find value. That is the basis of a market. And sometimes it will overshoot value to the downside. Sometimes it will overshoot value to the upside. But that is what it's looking to do. It's trying to find balance. And then once it's found balance, it will trade around balance. And then it will either shift or remain the same. You know, that's in essence what what a, a market is attempting to do. So if you think in terms of 
what a what a market profile is giving you and it's telling you it's telling you where the market perceives value at any given time where the majority of volume is going through and that's where the greater portion of people accept that value is and then it's telling you when it's shifting and yesterday for a short time perceived value in the euro stocks for example was 3008 and we traded there quite nicely we did a fair chunk of volume and we didn't really move for about an hour more than two or three ticks outside of that but then there was a shift and the market moved and the market started selling off and then throughout the day we were assessing where is value where today does this market perceive value and at some times it was 29.72 at some times it was you know much lower at the end of the day our volume point of control where the market perceived value to be is 29.43 and we closed below that but that is where the market perceived its value to be and the context of what a profile gives you is where those value areas are where the volume has been done and where the market's attempting to seek balance. And if you can kind of get the idea that this is just one big auction and this is one big auction where it can overshoot and undershoot based on participants' emotions and, you know, fear or, uh, or comfort, then you can start to understand the way in which the market flows and the way in which the market ebbs and flows. And that's, that's the key to what Market Profile does. You know, anything within a candlestick chart or anything within a bar chart, it's giving you the price data, it's telling you the highs and lows and closes, and it's giving you a pattern, but it's not giving you value. It's not telling you where people are accepting a value area to be. And I think that's really, for me, you know, the market profile or volume profiling, it's taking into account, you know, time and volume and price. It's taking in those three things, you know, a candlestick chart. It's not necessarily giving you all of that information. It's giving you the highs and lows and it's giving you a time bias, but it's not giving you the the volume and the value. You know, you could have a bar that, that goes is a fifty tick bar. But what does that really mean? A fifty tick bar from, you know, high to low to back into the middle. It doesn't give you enough of the story as to that could be done on two one lots. Okay. Yeah. You know, I think you, you summed that up really well. That was a really good uh, explanation, Dan. Thank you. Um, now, I've kind of gone about this back to front. I know you said you sort of come to the market from a top-down approach. Um, I've kind of asked you these questions in reverse. But besides the price action um, and, you know, the things we've talked about with the price ladder, uh, the market profile, et cetera, you said earlier on that you take into account the big picture. So explain to us or, or just give us a little insight and to what kind of macro events and fundamentals have an impact on how you trade? Yeah, I think you you have to be a rounded trader. You have to know everything that's going on because if you sit here and, you know, in, in the times that we're in now, if, if you sit here and you're unaware that oil was collapsing and that 
it, it's come down from wherever we were, a hundred plus bucks down to thirty bucks, and you're still sat here buying equities, then you know you're a fool. And and you have to absolutely know what's going on around you from, you know, a macro and a fundamental point of view. And it's so key and it's so important. And some of our, you know, on when we do prep our, our grads and, you know, some of it we televise, some of it we don't. But, you know, when we prep our guys, they will, the fundamentals will always override technicals, in my opinion, in the short term, because the market will overshoot and undershoot based on the significance of the event that is happening. And you can't tell me that, you know, in today's day and age, unfortunately, with all of the fear and terrorism that's going on, that you're going to sit here and sell buns because you've got a five minute trend line <laughs> over uh, another you know disastrous attack you, you know you'd be an idiot but above and beyond that you know you're, you're knowing what the ECB are doing what the Fed is doing what the Bank of England is doing it's absolutely paramount you know the moves do stem from that at the moment we are categorically absolutely across the curve pricing in negative interest rates and you have to understand that because otherwise the Bund looks like the greatest sell in the world at the moment. You know, you're sat here and you're thinking, oh, it's, it's gone up, it's got this. And you know, this is where I got sucked in yesterday. I actually did go short Bunds. I don't ever advocate that. I'm a perma Bund bull. But, you know, you can't. What we're doing is we're pricing in a very, very fundamental and macro situation where people are now expecting, in light of what Japan did, people are expecting negative interest rates. I mean, I can't quite believe it, but they're they're pricing in negative interest rates for the UK. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about rate rises. So you really do have to... You have to be a rounded trader, and I hate it when... People try and convince other people that there is this one system or there is this one technique that will is the holy grail and will make you, you know, a multimillionaire this time next year. It's it's just not true. It's just not that it's a whole multitude of things from, you know, as you point out, from the macro to the fundamental, all the way down to your. And every step in between, all the way down to your price ladder confirmation or your footprint confirmation. I mean, that's just the fact. Every trader I know is, and every successful trader I know is a very, very rounded out person. And some of our ECB discussions border on policy making. You know, I'm, I'm sometimes I sit there and I think we're getting so in depth as to what they could and couldn't and should and shouldn't do that, you know, they might as well put us in charge. <laughs> but you know that's just that's just what it takes it, it's there's no one single silver bullet it, it's it takes everything an understanding of everything yeah yeah brilliant answer i'm glad i did ask that question are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the u.s markets is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. 
not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I'd like to steer this uh, conversation more in the direction of prop trading now. Uh, so, so I'd like to ask you, what are the advantages of trading with a prop firm? And I know it may be a little hard to answer this without some bias, but is there also a downside to prop trading too? Okay, that's an interesting question. I think for sure prop trading is not for everyone. I think that's that's a, a fact. Um, the advantages, if I were to try and sum it up without being too heavily biasing, uh, as you say, which is quite difficult bearing in mind that I run a prop firm and and we've got uh, you know sort of training courses. But I mean, look, we we can what we try and do is we try and give people the financial backing that they would not normally have to enter into this career. We try and give people the accelerated learning and point them in the right direction. There's such a, I know that everything is available on the internet, but to sit with people who have been doing this for, in my case, 20 years, you know, my partner's case, 25 plus years, and some of the traders that we've had here are now sort of 10 plus years. To sit with these guys and to be able to be told what works and what doesn't work and what they should be looking for without getting sold anything or being given, you know, misguided influence, uh, parting with their own money um, to, to no avail. To be given all of this, I think, is an incredible advantage. And that's before you even start on the psychological and the mentoring support that, that these guys get. So, for me, there are... All of our highly successful traders that are here, they wouldn't be here without us. But likewise, as a firm, we wouldn't be here without them. Um, so it really is a partnership that, that we try and develop and that we try and you know, bring through. And I think in a retail sector, when you're sat at home, you've only got one pair of eyes on the screen, you're stuck with your thoughts all day that will waver from you know, this will work or that won't work or I'm not going to hang on to this trade because I'm scared or any of these things that you sort of challenge uh, is a challenge for yourself when you're sat at home. 
I think you can alleviate some of that that pressure when you're in a, a prop trading environment. Now the downside is is that you're in a group of people that are hitting a higher end of trading. So we're not trading now for a hundred bucks a day or a hundred pounds a day. Um, we're we're putting through thousands of thousands of round trips and we're trading for you know, if not five figures, six figures. And that's not for everyone because it takes a certain character, a certain characteristic to be able to take on that type of risk. And there are a lot of people that I'm sure are sat at home, are very good traders, um, who I do have respect for in terms of their knowledge and what they can impart and how they could maybe mentor but they're just not cut out to trade in a prop firm because their risk parameters, their personality just doesn't line up with what it takes to be in this type of firm. So, you know, that's it's not all about the money. It's about the, the personality and, and, you know, what, what you want from life. It's a much deeper question. <laughs> so do you think that the risk side of things is something that can't really be taught or developed? It's sort of almost like something intuitive that you kind of have built in. I don't know if that's a good way of explaining it, but I think you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I to a large degree, yes, I think it is built in and I think it's you can't necessarily teach someone how to take on risk um, or how to be comfortable with risk I mean the irony is we do have a couple of traders that are probably the most risk adverse traders I know and they will only ever be looking for you know one or two ticks maximum within the market over quiet periods of time because they don't have the um, the personality trait that makes them want to take on risk they have you know they have a much different way of going about trading um so it's interesting it's you know these guys have managed to find a way of trading without taking on any risk but i think they're few and far between i think they're pretty special traders i think the the biggest overriding problem most people have is being able to put on a trade and then deal with it going offside or coming back at you or, you know, <laughs> sitting in a trade uh, and and being patient enough and taking on that risk, I would say, is most people's, you know, overriding issue. Uh, it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, it's, I've got to be honest, if I had the magic answer as to what created a successful trader, you know, I'd have, I'd have, replicated it and uh you know i'd probably be uh in charge of a firm you know bigger than goldman sachs but it's really hard to to pin what specific characteristic makes a good trader and don't don't get me wrong we have tried you know we've looked into it be it psychometric testing be it you know personality profiling there is no constant and that's quite hard it makes it hard when you're taking someone on to know you know quite whether they're going to make it as a trader 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the learning process that new traders go through when joining the firm and how does the whole financial backing work? Like how is it structured and what's the process that traders go through to get funding? Yeah, well, initially, there's kind of two ways in, um, I guess, to, to our firm. We have a certain amount of sponsored places that we will allot per per intake. So at the moment, we're currently running about four intakes a year. And we look to, you know, people apply. We obviously go through their CVs and we bring them in and do a couple of um, tests. But, you know, the reality is, is when it comes to the interview, it comes down to trying to get a read of the of the person and a read of the guy. And it's it's quite hard because obviously an interview is such a it's such a false environment of how a person really behaves and on top of that they're behaving without ever having really interacted in the markets these way you know in, in a prop sort of environment way and it will certainly teach them things about themselves that they didn't necessarily know before um, so we offer these sponsored places uh, on each course uh, the remainder of the the places go to people who are willing to sort of self-sponsor themselves. So I pay the fee and come in and trade, you know, train under the same sort of banner as our sponsored guys. And the way we structure it is the first four weeks, we really have sort of tailored the first four weeks to a lot of classroom theory and it's a necessary evil I'm afraid there's not there's not really anything you can do about it I think it's probably their least enjoyable time and the trainers least enjoyable time because it's a lot of theory uh, but you have to go through it it's you know like I was saying before whereas I didn't know what impact non-farm payrolls or a rate rise had on the markets and that was accepted back then. It's kind of not accepted now. So we have to train our guys. We have to teach them. We have to make them understand. And then we we start giving them the techniques that we start to use. And we give them, you know, what we perceive to be the, the sort of charting armory um, that they need over that period of time as well. So that's the first four weeks. Now, the second four weeks really is where we start to drill into the price ladder and what we've invented and what we have is it's actually probably the thing I'm most proud of at the moment that this company has done but we have these um, what are basically price ladder drills and instead of them just being a, a normal simulator we can we've been recording data for you know, many, many years and bringing it onto a platform where actually for the first time that I'm aware of globally, people can interact with. So it's not a simulator. It's not um, a live market. It's it's like a replay data of, say, the past six or seven ECB meetings, but traders can actually get involved instead of just watching the data and instead of just watching what may happen in the market we've made it we've given it the ability that traders can interact with that and they can actually trade it and they can have a P&L off it and 
I mean, to me, this is, you know, this is the key part of the course. This is the gold dust because up until this, this price ladder product that we've got, the only way you can get involved in an ECB meeting is to, you know, trade it once every six weeks now and trade it either on a sim or live. And if I'd have been able to go back in, in my time and had a learning curve where actually I could trade 10 ECB meetings over the course of four weeks, or I can practice 10 ECB meetings or, or 10 non-farm payrolls or whatever the figure is and practice that over the course of four weeks, that would just, you know, send trade send my would have sent my trading on an absolute stratospheric um arc i mean it really is just something that those middle four weeks it and the price ladder drills are just so key and to be able to go over and, and do these things and it's not just the ecb it's you know it's non-farm payrolls it's um bank of england it's whatever rate announcement there may be and it's also techniques that we've identified so there's certain bits that specifically tell you how to trade if there's a you know flipper in the market or a layerer in the market or all of these other things that we know shouldn't maybe happen but do happen we've got the ability for people to actually interact with these things and actually trade these things and you know that for me as, as I've said accelerating people's learning is really you know what we're all about and what we're really attempting to do um, and the back four weeks is where we start putting them on simulators and actually start monitoring them at their desk and monitoring their progress and monitoring how they actually trade in a simulated but live data environment and it's then that we start making decisions about whether we can put people live or whether we're willing to you know back people we've had a couple of people who have actually sponsored themselves to come on the course uh, but have then gone on to want backing um, which we have done so it's not as if you know they pay for a course and then we just sort of send them back out into the, the wide world to fend for themselves you know we've got three or four people off our last course one in the states um that we were so impressed with how he was getting to grips with trading that we've actually backed him to trade from the states remotely uh, and that takes a hell of a lot of trust because you're relying on someone to actually behave themselves and adhere to stops and risk management from you know where really the only control you've got over it is your first port of call is skype you know the second pool call is if they're not responding, you're blocking accounts. Um, can't go over and talk to them. So, you know, that's that's really in a nutshell how everything works. You know, we look to back people. We put them on a contract. Um, that gives them uh, our backing and it gives them our finances and our time. So instead of you know, only being able to start trading a pound a pip or a one lot, you know, we put people into the market trading bigger than one lot so that they can actually make a living. Um, and obviously in return, there's a, you know, a percentage that would come back across to us that scales up uh, the more money that they make. Very cool. So after that 12-week program, the initial kind of 
uh, learning process that they go through. How long do you anticipate before newer traders to the firm actually reach a level of, of some consistency? Well, consistency on the sim is very different to consistency live. Uh, I think everyone, you know, I know that a couple of the Twitter guys like to call them demo ballers, which is it's quite an apt name for them. Um, it's one thing taking a fake position uh, and being able to run it offside and then see it back to a scratch and then see it offside and then take it to a profit. And, I, you know, I think gaining consistency on the sim is pretty straightforward. Unfortunately, it's the only benchmark we have. Uh, if there were another way to go about it, I would, you know, love to know and I would drop the sim. But, you know, the majority of people around weeks 20 uh, through to 24, so that's that five to six month barometer, should be looking to have achieved some form of consistency on the sim. If they haven't, then we need to really start questioning their techniques or their suitability to actually the, the career. Uh, and then that's when we'd look to put them live. And of course, that's when um, probably the biggest issue that any trader will ever have starts coming into play. And that's their psychology. And that's that's really where, unfortunately, we do try and help. We do, tr you know, in, I'm not a psychologist, but I have got 20 years of experience attempting to help, the, you know, people through it. Um, we do employ someone who comes in and tries to talk to them, but, you know, it's really where our control starts to get incredibly, incredibly limited and our ability to influence these guys starts to get less and less and it starts to become about them and about their psychology and their hunger and their desire and, you know, everything else that comes into you know, a trader's mindset. Sure. So just generally speaking, what's the average kind of success rate of the traders that you fund? Because, you know, everyone's heard the statistic that 90 to 95% of traders, you know, retail traders um, fail, they blow up, they, you know, go out of business. You know, I presume it's more weighted in your favor uh, as, a, as a funded trader with a prop firm. Yeah, it is. And I think that's one of the key advantages. I'm not going to say, I, I, you know, it, it would disrespect the whole interview and make me look like a mug if I said that 100% of the guys that come to us go on to be successful traders. It's just not true. I think the statistics are slightly better and in our favor. I've never worked them out to put a number on it. But you know, the reality is you're still not even looking at 50-50. You know, I couldn't say that half of our the guys that come to us um, end up making money because it's just not true. Um, what I can say is the ones that do make it make a significant amount of money. They're not just making um, the equivalent of a 50 or 60,000 pound a year career. They're making you know, six figures a year and on their way to making seven figures a year. Um, that's really where the key differential is, um, that the guys that actually are successful and the money that they make is, you know, vastly in excess of what I, I would imagine the retail sector is doing. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that we knock it out of the park with everyone. The one thing that I would say is that most of the people that do leave us, 
um, will acknowledge that they've had the best chance that they're ever going to have at being a trader within our firm and probably 95% of them actually leave and go on to take a a more stable and a more career-based job that they're probably suited to. 5% I know will go and attempt to trade somewhere else, but within three or four months I end up seeing a reference because you know it hasn't worked out at the other firm that they've gone to so you know the reality is they they go to another firm thinking there might be a holy grail there but they find out that they're still the same person they're still the same trader and the markets are still the same markets um so that's really you know all i can say from from a prop perspective is i think the people that don't make it have had the best chance that they have had to make it and just realize that trading's not for them and move on. I think our stats are better than 90%. And that those that do make money and are successful make substantial amounts of money and go on to achieve great success, not just, um, you know, I hate the word mediocrity, but, you know, a lesser degree of success. I think that's probably the fairest and most honest way of, of, of answering that. Yeah, no, I appreciate the honesty, Dan. That's uh, that was a really good answer. So, let's just do one last question to take us out, and this is maybe just some, I guess you could call it, parting advice uh, for traders listening. So, if someone is feeling completely lost and frustrated as a trader, they're perhaps not sure where to turn. What advice would you give to them? Um, step away for a little bit, get some clarity you need to if you're really at a point where you're that low you're not going to make money you're not going to um turn it round by sitting in front of your screen uh, i honestly think you need to get away you need to take a mental rain check probably need to do something completely unrelated to the markets in any way shape or form and not push for an answer i think the answer will come to you i think man's thinking although it's its greatest uh, asset can also be its greatest enemy because we can all constantly overthink things that are very very simple and straightforward um so get away get some clarity understand what it is you want to achieve and if you do want to you know come back to trading then I honestly do believe you should seek professional, trusted advice. There's no holy grail. Um, there's no single answer. It's a myriad of approaches from, as we've discussed, from the macro fundamental all the way down. And I do believe that having a support network is is incredibly key. Whether that support network can be you know, your family to discuss things with or other people in the industry whom you trust um, or a firm. You know, there is, you know, there are those options um, to to sort of seek that advice and, and help you achieve your dreams. Um, you know, so if you are sort of stuck in the mud and you really, really are suffering, I think, you know, pride comes before a fall. So, you know, reach out to someone and, and get some help. 
Brilliant answer, Dan. I really like that. Uh, well said. So, do you want to share with listeners just before we go here where they can go to find out more about you and how they can connect with you? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. If people want to get in touch, they can uh, visit either of our websites. There's a lot of information on futexlive.com. Um, you don't need to part with any money. You can get yourself a seven-day trial and you can have a look through there. Uh, all of the guys that either stream on the live terminal are trusted, profitable traders and they share their advice and they share what they're looking at in the market. Um, you'll find me on there two or three times a week giving my take on the market and for anyone who does know me or does follow me, you know, my take on the market is not 100% accurate but it's certainly um, closer than than a lot of other people out there uh, so have a look around futexlive.com see if it's for you see if you like what's there there's absolutely no commitment required uh, and then you can get in touch via there or have a look around futex.co.uk that's more of our sort of trade facilitation website so you can get, a, um, get, a, get the gist of what, what we do there and of course via Twitter um, you know the prop industry is uh, you know pretty rife on twitter and it's very very quick and easy to find out who is um legit and who knows what they're talking about and who is you know not quite as legit and doesn't know what they're talking about um so my any any tag you can just look up um a uh, Futex Live. My personal tag is at mg underscore Futex Live. But any of the traders that are set up on there are professional proprietary traders. Um, they're also profitable traders, uh, and people that we kind of link with on there uh, might be in the retail sector or abroad. But there's certainly a wealth of information that other people have got as well. Um, so have a look around. You know, we're not. I'm not here to give a hard sell. That's not. I'm not a salesman. That's not my thing at all. Um, but I do enjoy helping people achieve their dreams or at least making them realize that their dreams aren't quite what they think they are. Very good. Okay, Dan. Um, and guys listening, I'll be sure to include all those links at chatwithtraders.com forward slash 59 uh, in case you want to find everything all in one place. Uh, now, Dan, I hope you have a great trading session ahead. I know it's early morning for you. Uh, thank you very much for your time and sharing your insight. Uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, pleasure. Happy to do it again whenever you're ready. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.